This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi, folks. Thanks so much for joining me on Mindful Medicine. I am so excited about today's show. Well, I always say that, I think, but I really am. Uh, these subjects, um, I think, are so important in the conversation today. And I'm particularly excited about this one because, uh, you know, this is, we're going to, well, let me just tell you what it is. How about that? We're going to be talking about master plan for long-term wellness, specifically when it has to do with chronic pain. And if there is a condition that I see in my practice that sometimes I feel um, just really heartbroken about, it's when somebody is in chronic pain, because I know for a fact that it sets off so many other things, psychosocial, emotional, physiological, and I think having a long-term integrative plan to manage something like that when we know it's happening and certainly always looking to reduce pain is really important. And I've got the perfect person uh, to help us talk through this. It's uh, She's a clinical psychologist. Dr. Tracy Stein is the former director of integrative medicine at Columbia University Medical Center and is aware of the tasks patients face when looking for remedies to manage their chronic pain. And, pain sorry. and did you know that one in three Americans, one in three so just look to your left and look to your right if you're in the car or what have you. One in three Americans currently suffer from chronic pain. And with so many choices on the market for managing pain, finding that proper therapy can seem like an, an insurmountable task. But I have Dr. Stein here. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so you, you wrote a book, The Everything Guide to Integrative Pain Management. I love that. Um, I, you've taken this dilemma head on and provide definitely in your book a one-stop resource for building a unique plan for pain uh, for those folks with chronic pain. So important because I have, like I said, when somebody's in chronic pain, it, it rules their world, don't you think? It really does. Um you know, one of the things that is so prominent when people are diagnosed with a chronic pain condition, other than the shock and the bewilderment, is a sense of grief. I can't tell you how often that comes up. And it's something that a lot of times isn't acknowledged in the medical setting as much. But, you know, people grieve the loss of the life that they had that they might not have even appreciated mm. that now might seem ideal in comparison, right? Especially if they um, have been told that they won't get a certain level of functioning back or that their pain won't go away. That is such a good point. And I think that, um, you know, to that point, I feel like sometimes when if you have never been in chronic pain or in pain at all, it's you you don't understand. It, it, it's almost like um, my mom died a couple years ago and Sorry. I've had friends of mine that. Oh, no, thanks. But my I, but my, my point is, I've had friends that have lost their parents. And I, I think you go through that, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. And but boy, until you're part of that club, you just really don't get it right. And then Absolutely. it's I think it's the same thing with ex yeah, experiencing pain. Um, because I, I think people think it's all in your head, or what have you. And this is real. And so you recommend using conventional and more alternative therapies for managing pain. This, this doesn't seem to be a typical approach taken by most people practicing medicine. Um, why not? So I think what happens with um, conventional medical providers in particular, uh, I'm leaving psychologists out of this for the moment, but it's that, you know, their, their training tends to be very specialized. I'm sure you've seen this as well. So people can get a really significant depth of knowledge in their area, 
but things outside of their area they may not know as much about. And, you know, there's still a lot of bias in the conventional medical community about things that are alternative or integrative in nature. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a saying by this famous psychologist, Abraham Maslow, and it's that if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, basically. I mean, it's not often that extreme, but people can be um, very wary of alternative therapies. Um, You know, one one horror story can really negatively bias someone. And it's so important to be open-minded because, you know, nearly a quarter, uh, sorry, nearly 40% of our population uses alternative therapies of some sort in a given year. And people who are medically ill or in pain are even more likely to use them. And so even if somebody doesn't have expertise in terms of its particular um, alternative therapy, it's helpful to at least be open-minded or have some sense of where to refer somebody. Sure. I think, you know, that's such an important point. And to your point, you can be extremely specialized. And I love Maslow, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the whole thing. Um, But it's very, it's very, very true. You know, I've always said that I think there's value in all systems of medicine. And when you look at conventional um, Western reductionistic medicine, they really are very specialized in reducing you to a sign or a symptom. And when, when pain's on the, on the, the, the board for the most part, um, you know, of course, there can be pharmaceuticals and medications, and of course, you have opioid patients, so there's another pharmaceutical out there for that, and the side effects that go along with some of the pain management, but expanding, and I think people that are in pain do this better, expanding their mind and understanding more, quote-unquote, alternative therapies to just conventional medicine that actually, I think, have some good clinical and statistical results behind them. Um, and speaking of these modalities, you talk a lot about hypnosis in your book as a therapy for chronic pain. And you have nine audio programs and counting that employ hypnosis and imagery for everything from achieving a healthy weight to breaking unhealthy habits to establishing a mindful practice. What? How did you get this interest in hypnosis and imagery? And what have you seen as far as outcomes? So um, the story about how I got interested in it is actually, it goes pretty far back um, and a little bit personal. So as a kid growing up in the 1970s and 80s, my parents' big night out for us as a family was sometimes going to this Chinese restaurant and this strip mall. Um, And, you know, they didn't take reservations. And so while we waited, we'd go to the bookstore next door. And the bookstore, right as you walked in, had this rack of hypnosis audio tapes. And I was fascinated by this even then um, because I thought, wow, imagine just being able to listen to something and shift how you think and feel better in some way. And um, when I wound up working in uh, integrative medicine, the the now famous Dr. Oz, he wasn't quite as famous then, but routinely offered guided imagery audio tapes to patients for everything from pain management to um, general wellness and stress management and um you know, almost universally, people reported feeling better using them. And there is data showing that both self uh, sorry, both hypnosis and guided imagery have been shown to have um, very real effects. Certainly for pain, the data is pretty good for pain management and hypnosis and imagery. But things like um, decreasing stress, even reducing the need for pain medication during or following surgery, um, a whole host of things, reducing chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. 
So there is actually a lot there. And after I left integrative medicine and did this PhD in clinical psychology, uh, as a postdoc, I worked with chronic pain patients and thought, you know, this is an additionally very useful tool. And so I did hmm. formal training in clinical hypnosis, and the rest is kind of history. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. And I can imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, in today's world where we're so um, sort of busy being not busy on our phones and that, you know, instant gratification of a text tweet or a post or a notification or a communication or what have you, I can imagine that it's hard for some folks to actually get into a space where they can settle down into that parasympathetic place and let some of this healing happen. Is that true or am I making that up? Am I just thinking no, it's about myself? Absolutely, it's absolutely true. And I think that's why there's this proliferation of apps for everything, including meditation, hypnosis, guided imagery, because it's almost easier to get somebody to press an app, you know, turn it on on their phone than it is to get them to commit to, you know, formal seated practice sometimes. Um, one I, of the, sorry, one of the good things about something like guided imagery um, is that for people who say, well, I just can't quiet my mind, right? Because we are amped up all the time and we are multitasking mentally all the time. You don't have to be a super active listener. And even with hypnosis, your unconscious will hear what it's supposed to. And somebody who's good at doing hypnosis or listening to a good hypnosis or imagery audio program will get the sense right away that, I mean, there's usually a, a very overt suggestion that you know, your mind knows what's best for you and will change the suggestions as it needs to, to be most helpful to you. And so people can find that easier than literally unplugging in a very formal way. I love it. You know, I always try to remember in my practice that the body has this innate ability to heal itself. And if we just allow that to happen and also look for obstacles of why it isn't happening, because um, it always guides me in my clinical practice. And quite honestly, it guides me in my own health. Um, but what you're saying, too, is our mind um, has that same ability. It's going to help us do exactly perhaps or hear what we need to hear during the hypnosis practice. I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're saying. That's what I'm picking up what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's also one of the reasons why I tell people don't fall asleep with the TV on. And people think, well, you know, I need the TV to fall asleep. But what I'll say is, you know, if you're telling me you're stressed out during the night or when you wake up or you're having trouble sleeping well, and, you know, who the heck knows what's coming on the TV, there's a lot of distressing information out there. Um, you might not consciously hear it, but on some level that information is impacting your unconscious. Yeah, that's a fascinating. All right, so a couple things. Um, I want to know definitely how somebody who is going through chronic pain can approach their their plan to get relief overall. But first, why one in three Americans like that? That's over 100 million Americans suffer. Why are so many people uncomfortable? What's going on? So there are a lot of risk factors for a chronic pain condition. Um, one of them actually is being female, unfortunately, um, and that's thought Jeez. maybe to be attributable in part to hormonal fluctuations, but the data isn't super um, strong about that just yet. But, you know, being underweight, being overweight, being sedentary, having high levels of stress, and actually um, depression and anxiety are both linked to chronic pain, but chronic pain, as we know, also creates more anxiety and depression. Um, so those are some things linked to that. Um, even vitamin D deficiency, I'm certainly not a vitamin D expert, but that's something also linked to chronic pain. 
Yeah, I'm not a vitamin D expert per se either, but I have to tell you, when people come in with low levels and we recover those levels, one of the things that changes in their clinical presentation is the amount of pain that they're in. Sure, yeah, I'm not surprised, and I'm assuming also probably their mood. Yeah, their mood, and I believe then, I mean, can't I can't really document this, but their immunity and so many other things. <laughs> but we divert. So, how should one approach uh, their plan to pain relief in this overall wellness so that it's personalized and and really meets their particular needs and symptoms? Okay, so the, the you just said the magic word that I think is very important is that it should be personalized. Um, you know, right in the beginning of my book, if if nobody read anything other than the very beginning and very end of my book. I would want them to actually look at my kind of top 10 things to remember because um, the first thing I say is, you know, you're the most important person on your pain management team. You have to be the team captain. And that goes even just for your general health, right? Because, um, you know, you have to be the one to commit to whatever changes you want to make. No one can make that commitment for you and no one can go and, and fulfill those actions. Um you know, also getting in the driver's seat is extremely empowering. It can counteract some of the feelings of fear and depression that are common to pain, but just the stress of daily life. And when you come up with a plan, it's more likely to be enjoyable to you. Now, all that said, in terms of crafting a master plan for wellness over the long term, I, I like people to ask themselves some questions and really give them serious thoughts. So one is, what is it that you want to see change? So that might mean improving sleep or decreasing fatigue or decreasing stress or easing pain or losing weight. It could be any of a number of things. Um, and then what I would say is prioritize those things and pick one or two that you're willing to start with um, because most people get overwhelmed when there are a lot of changes to make and set small, concrete, achievable goals. Um, but really be honest with yourself and ask yourself, what are you willing to do? And once you do that, give it a fair shot. I've had people come in and say, well, I've tried this and I've tried that and it doesn't work. But when you talk to them, you know, whether it's a medication or whether it's um, acupuncture, you know, one dose probably is not going to do it. Um, I always say to commit to a plan for the short term and the long term, understanding that in the long term, you're probably going to adjust your plan as your, as your body changes or as your health changes or as your needs change. Um, if you need help, definitely consult with someone who's qualified to help you and also enlist the support of friends and family. That can be really key. People can feel very isolated when they're making significant life changes and make self-care a priority. So pencil it in as if it's just as important, if not more important than anything else on your to-do list. That's really hard. And I find it's especially hard for uh, women and for people who have families to care for because you need to keep moving farther down lower on the list, but it, you know, it's essential. Wow. Yeah. I, those are great points. I think it absolutely is essential. And the other thing too, you know, and I know this is probably identify and treat the cause. You know, you mentioned some of those things, especially being women with hormonal imbalances and stress and trying to, because it is a whole, it's a big picture. And I think that people get probably more motivated when they are in that such that chronic pain to do whatever they can to get out of it. Because I mean, it's almost like chronic pain sort of begets chronic pain, right? Because you have an increase, I think, in cortisol and things that are inflammatory yeah. and that kind of feed, feed the circle a, a little bit. Um, so 
Wow, this is one. This is wonderful. So, um, there, you know, it, there's certainly a physiology to pain. I mean, I think that throughout my career, it's been amazing. Like, I was never a fatigued person, right? Uh, I was just, I had a lot of energy, and I hit the wall. I did probably around uh, oh, I don't know, thirty something, um, and I was like, this is what is being tired really feels like, and it helped me be a better practitioner. Um, same thing. I never really was in pain, and then I. I had a horrible accident walking my dog one night, raining oh, wow. really hard here and completely shattered my shoulder and um, never been in pain before. But then that that listed like a six month to a year process of surgeries and physical therapy. And like, OK, I'm a much more sensitive practitioner when it comes. I mean, there, we just have these experiences um, to understand the physiology of the pain. But how can the psychology of pain be managed better? Because I, you know, when I was just going through and believe me, it was in my opinion, an acute situation because it wasn't chronic. I was able, and I'm pain-free at this point in time. Thankfully. Um, But tears streaming down my eyes and feeling hopeless um, because I'm a CrossFit athlete and I've always been very active and I ride motorcycles and I play the bass and without my dominant arm, you know, that I was, um, I, I was immobilized for so long. I literally was, I mean, I definitely was in a depression and of course the sleeplessness because of the, the pain, et cetera. And oh, so yeah. it just was this, yeah. So just how can it be, how can that part be managed for folks? I'm going to try to be concise, but it's a big No, no, topic, please. Right? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things that's key to remember is that, and I think you alluded to this before, is that, you know, your mind and body are designed to work together to help you be well to the extent that that's possible. And I think that can sound like BS to somebody who's really suffering. But, you know, and I, I think that's why a multimodal um, creative approach can be so helpful, right? Because some of it will be, you know, going to physical therapy if that's what's recommended or having surgery if it's needed. And you get some comfort from knowing you're taking an action that hopefully will result in um, improvement. But then there's also, you know, how do you, you know, close that theoretical pain gate um, in the rear of the spinal cord, right? So you have these, um, you know, these uh, nerve impulses coming up from the body to the brain, but what the brain can send down to the body is extremely important in turning down the volume on pain. So relaxation is important, like profound relaxation, not just lying on the couch. Um, and things like, again, hypnosis, guided imagery, meditation can help literally turn down the volume on pain, send a competing signal to the body of ease and, um, and safety and comfort. Um, listening to music that you like and really paying attention to it has been shown to help somewhat with turning down the volume on pain. Um, getting a good diet that's well-balanced helps with not only reducing inflammation, but helping you feel, again, that you're doing something that you have control over that can help with pain and also can help with mood. Because, again, when anxiety and depression are high, we know that pain severity is also high. Um, and, you know, even for myself, I use a very multimodal approach. So today, before this interview, I listened to binaural beats with hypnotic imagery, <laughs> and I, <laughs> yes. I used aromatherapy because I like it. And, um, you know, I tried to have a positive intention for a good outcome. And so, you know, it's not about any one thing being magic, but it's being willing to be proactive um, and finding the, the therapies, again, that resonate with you. 
and that might change over time. And also probably um, being aware of therapies that are out there that, you know, you are just locked in with your doctor and your doctor has this approach. And so many people I have found that, well, my doctor told me this and then the, and the, the story ends there. And I'm like, yes, but it's your body. You have full responsibility for what goes in it and what you do with it. And you can get a second opinion and there's different systems of medicine that you can check out. Um, but I think that's great. So um, let's talk about things like there's medical marijuana that, uh, Opioids, certainly, antidepressants, all in the headlines, uh, good, bad, and evil. Are, you know, what are what? What's your take on on some of these uh, modalities? Okay, so if I think about them all as some sort of um, medication, right? Because they all have some. I mean, two are considered technically medications, and marijuana used for medical purposes is considered a, a medical right agent. So. Anything that has the potential to be helpful also has the potential to cause effects that you don't want and everything isn't right for anybody. And that would be the broad kind of thinking I'd start out with. So with regard to medical marijuana, um, you know, for some people, it can be very helpful. So somebody who has, you know, intractable pain or a life-threatening or or really challenging chronic illness might find that marijuana is helpful for stimulating appetite and keeping their weight up and um, helping them sleep and managing their pain somewhat and um, helping with seizures that are otherwise not well controlled. Um, but somebody who has a history of psychotic illness or a genetic vulnerability to psychotic illness probably should not start with medical marijuana. Um, same as somebody with um, a neurological problem like migraines. You'd really want to be thoughtful about that and as always, keep your um, medical providers in the loop. Um, antidepressants can help a decent number of people somewhat and some people quite a lot, but there's certainly a lot of people who don't respond well or at all to them. They have side effects. Um, with regard to chronic pain, the good news is that you can usually take a lower dose of an antidepressant for chronic pain than you would for depression and you may be able to replace some other medications by using it because one thing people, a lot of people don't know is that antidepressants, um, certain ones can uh, help with sleep. They can help with anxiety as well and also turn down the volume on pain. So sometimes it's something worth trying and it might take a while to find the right one. Uh, you know, the negative effects like sexual side effects, dry mouth, um, also weight gain and a uh, possible dysbiosis. Um, so that's something to think about. Opioids, um, you know, they've been in the news for good reason. For some people, that might be the only thing that takes the edge off their pain, but they're really not great to be used long-term. They probably are over-prescribed. People who have a history of addiction should not be prescribed them as a rule. And, you know, they come with the risks with things like respiratory depression. And so somebody who's also taking something like a benzodiazepine like um, Valium or Ativan or Xanax is at greater risk of having that happen. Um, or somebody who drinks alcohol um, probably isn't the best person to prescribe an opioid pain medicine to. And, you know, they have other risks as well. Um, I, you know, Doctors need more time to actually sit with patients and get to know them and get a sense of who else they've seen and what other medications they've been prescribed and if they do have a history of addiction. But it's really complicated. Um, 
And I'm actually glad that I cannot prescribe them because I would be pretty anxious about prescribing them just because of the risks. But again, for some people, they are beneficial. And I think you've made a great point, uh, you know, and I, I feel this way so much with um, most medications, whether it's a proton pump inhibitor, which I think is devastating long term. I saw, right. I mean, devastating long term side effects. But if there is, if for short term, if we need to get uh, somebody out of uh, discomfort while we're building ground underneath their feet and identifying yeah. and treating what's going on, that's great. But we need to have that exit strategy. And I feel the same way with what you're saying uh, regarding opioids for sure, antidepressants as well. Um, you know, once again, this whole beautiful, lovely body we have uh, works pretty darn well and wants always to come back into balance. And sometimes it's just being able to think things through and ask deeper questions. But you also made a great point with uh, the fact that a lot of times based on our healthcare system right now and some people's practices, they don't have that time to talk to the individuals and say, listen, let's try this. This is just for an acute situation. And, you know, beyond this, here's what we're going to do. And so that's why I love your approach. Folks, this is all about mastering a plan for long-term wellness, uh, being sort of endurance runners in our, our wellness and health, especially when it comes to having chronic pain. Think about everything Dr. Stein has talked about anywhere from the uh, from from imagery to hypnosis. Um, I know as well cognitive behavioral therapy, and then there's all sorts of things. But it's all about you being involved and being able to figure out what is going to be best for you. Dr. Stein, thank you so much. Now, folks can get a hold of you at uh, drtracystein.com. That's D-R-T-R-A-C-I-S-T-E-I-N.com. And once again, your award-winning book, The Everything Guide to Integrated Pain Management. Um, wonderful book. And uh, I think anybody who is going through this, it's a great guide. So people understand and are aware of more options out there. And then also you're on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. T, uh, at Dr. Tracy Stein um, with Twitter and uh, on Facebook, Dr. T Stein. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. I know it is not easy. People in chronic pain, um, it's, it's heartbreaking, and you're dealing with uh, a lot of them, one in three, so I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was really wonderful speaking with you today. All right. All right, folks, you're mindful folks out there. Just hopefully we opened up your mind just a little bit more to know that everybody has um, options and you can get an individual uh, personalized treatment, long-term plan for chronic pain and so much else. Um, best if you take the lead and get involved and do things that empower yourself, like cook for yourself and have a great diet and do all these other adjunctive things besides just the here, take this approach. Okay. Until next time, I want to thank you so much. Big hug. All right. We'll see you soon.